The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Second down and 13. Oh, baby. Unbelievable. Jack Jones. They do it again. I mean, there are bad dreams, and there are crazy bad dreams. And for the Chargers, it's been that kind of a night. That interception return came with 14 and a half minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and the score was 63-7. to The Washington mark of 72 points, which is the all-time most points scored in an NFL regular season game, it happened in 1966 in the highest scoring NFL game of all time, 72-41 to over the Giants. I thought at that moment, wow, the Raiders, the Raiders have a really good chance to set the NFL mark for most points in a regular season game. But they didn't score again. They won the game 63-21, to and it cost, finally, Brandon Staley his job. What if Ron Rivera is on the other end of another beating like the last two Sunday in Los Angeles? Would Josh Harris pull the plug on Ron Rivera on Monday? Uh, I've got some thoughts on that. We'll get to that here shortly. A show on Friday that is presented, as always, by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. If you've been thinking about new windows, now is the time to act. Mention my name, free estimate, buy two, get two free, and also 0% interest for five years. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. Jay Gruden coming up in the next segment. I'll have my smell test to end the show. Uh, And before we get to that, uh, I'll have some thoughts on Sunday's game, a prediction on Sunday's game, and a little bit more. Um, But I did want to start with last night's game because, first of all, there's so many things that are interesting about it. Number one is, how good must Brian Flores be as a defensive coordinator in Minnesota? First of all, the Vikings were the worst defensive team, if not the worst, one of the two or three worst in the NFL last year. They are one of the best this year. Certainly over the last eight weeks, they have been lights out as a defensive football team. Early in the season, they struggled a little bit, but once they figured out his system, they have been lights out. They shut the Raiders out in Vegas on Sunday. Shut them out. 
three to nothing. They they is what the Minnesota won that game by. And the next game, the Raiders score sixty three essentially in three quarters. Uh, that's something just to to keep an eye on. And by the way, that may fit into the smell test coming up at the end of the show. Minnesota plays Cincinnati uh, tomorrow. Triple headers of of NFL football uh, tomorrow. Um, but you know the Chargers. They lay down. They quit. Uh, no Justin Herbert. We understand that. No Keenan Allen. Um, they're starting this dude Easton Stick. But the Raiders were starting Aiden O'Connell. I actually kind of like Aiden O'Connell. I'm going to ask Jay Gruden about what he thinks about Aiden O'Connell. I kind of liked him coming out of Purdue. Now, he's not a mobile quarterback, but I think he's just one of those really smart, you know, quick processing, get it out quickly kind of quarterbacks. But anyway, that aside... You know, what are we going to get on on uh, on Sunday? Are we going to get a Chargers effort? Are we going to get something like what we saw Monday night with the Giants and the Titans? Are we going to get what Washington put out against Miami? The la- See, I, I think the Dallas and the Miami losses, while comparable, almost identical in score, 45-10, 45-15, I think they were completely different efforts. I think the matchup was much worse against Miami. But beyond that... Um, Washington was competitive with Dallas on Thanksgiving Day through, you know, nearly three quarters. Uh, and then it got out of hand in the fourth quarter. Miami pummeled them from the start. It was 31 to 7 at halftime. I wonder what would happen if they lay an egg like that again on Sunday, coming off of a bye week. You know, without, you know, the Chargers excuse, which is, you know, no starting quarterback and, you know, our best receiver out, injuries galore. Um, I wonder if Josh Harris would pull the plug like Chargers management did today. I don't think that they would, and I'll give you a few reasons why I don't think they would. First of all, let me just say, I don't think that's going to happen Sunday. More on that coming up. But number one is there has been a push and a philosophy from, from Josh Harris and Mitchell Rails that they're not going to put themselves into a position where they are perceived as hasty, as impulsive, impetuous, whatever word you want to use. And they gave Ron from the beginning of the year, the year, and they were going to sit back and they were going to evaluate a season. They didn't have time to do anything. We've talked about that before the season started. And I don't think that they want the rep that Dan had. Um, You know, uh, number two is that this is not a Charger situation in that Ron Rivera is a respected longtime head coach in the league. Brandon Staley is a Johnny-come-lately. He has not built up the cred in the league. I know a lot of you are surprised by, by that, but he has not built up that cred in the league that Ron has. So they don't want to do something to maybe you know piss off agents or other prospective coaches, if there's any sort of sense that, you know, getting rid of Ron here with four games left, you know, made Ron look bad. Now, if they lose, if they get pummeled, like we're talking about, like if they lose like the Chargers did last night or like they did to Miami, like 63 to 21 is hard to get to. But let's just say the Rams, you know, hung a 45 to 10, 45, you know, 17 loss that was never competitive at any point. I think agents and prospective coaches would probably understand if they wanted to make some sort of statement. But again, I don't think they'll do that. I think they very much have in mind 
how they are going to be perceived with the way they handle a, a respected longtime person in the NFL and Ron Rivera on his way out. Um, and they don't want to put at jeopardy, you know, any, you know, potential hire that may look at that and say, I don't like the way you handled that at the end versus handling it with the utmost of class. And at this point, what culture are you really, or or what culture statement are you really making? What business reason would there be to do it? You've got two home games left and those games are probably going to be sold out if they aren't already with 49ers and Cowboys fans. I don't see them doing it no matter how bad it gets. Now I could change my mind. You know, 49, 42 to nothing at halftime last night, 49 to 7, 63 to 7. Um, that would be, you know, that would be pretty rough. Uh, did you see that it's the first game that's ever been a 63 to 21 score? I also found it fascinating that it was the first, only the second time in NFL history that there have been exactly 63 points scored in a game. I would have thought that would have happened many times. Not many, but more than twice. Because it's a factor of seven. You know, it's seven times nine. We know our we know our seven times tables as NFL as football fans. And, you know, nine touchdowns, you know, all the extra points made. It's not an odd high score. It's a it's an odd score because it's so many points. I just thought it would have been done more than that. And um, yeah, I mean the seventy two that they scored against the Giants in sixty six was in jeopardy last night with fourteen and a half minutes to go in that quarter. By the way, I look back at that Washington game from nineteen sixty six, the highest scoring regular season game in NFL history. Um, it's the game that Sam Huff often referred to. Uh, I got a chance every Sunday doing the pregame show for 13 or 14 years or whatever it was um, to talk to Sonny and Sam every week. And I, I truly enjoyed that uh, every week, getting a chance to do that. And I mean, you know, Sam did get a little bit repetitive there um, in later years. And he told that story over and over again about how Ali Sherman was the coach that you know, essentially said that they didn't need him anymore in New York. And he's the one that said, get Charlie Gogolak, who was the kicker, into the game to rub it in. They were up 69 to 41, and there were like five seconds left in the game. And Huff insisted that they kick the field goal to rub it in. And they did. And that 72 became the all-time regular season mark, the 72-41 to 41 combined, 113 points, the highest-scoring game in NFL history. The 73, the Bears hung on Washington in the 1940 title game is the most ever scored in a, in a game regular season or postseason. We saw the Dolphins score 70 earlier this year. We saw last night the Raiders score 63 in basically three quarters for a year that's been lower scoring and really uh, defensive resurgent. We've seen two outrageously high scoring games. So I'll get to a couple of keys to hanging in there against the Rams on Sunday, along with a final score prediction uh, in a few minutes. But before that, I wanted to play a couple of sound bites for you from yesterday. The first two 
are from Sam Howell from RG3's podcast called RG3 and the Ones. I'm going to play it straight through for you. It's back-to-back questions about Eric Bieniemy. Uh Sam's a big fan. Here's what Sam said to RG3. Eric Bieniemy, a head coach? For sure. Yeah, and I think Eric Bieniemy would be a great head coach. Um, obviously, you know, I've, been, I've enjoyed working with him as a play caller and as an offensive coordinator, but I just think this – his ability to lead, um, his ability to relate to guys, and his ability to get the best out of his players is what truly separates him as a coach. Um, but, you know, he'll get his opportunity at some point. Right. Um, not sure when. Might be next year somewhere. Might be might be in, in 10 years. But whenever he gets his opportunity, he'll definitely show people why he should be a head coach for sure. But I'm definitely, definitely a big fan of his. Now, Sam, I'm not a – I, I'm not a rumor guy. I, I'm not a sources guy. I absolutely hate that. I think if you're going to say something, you should put your name behind it. <laughs> but there was some some stuff out there saying that the enemy was was too tough or too hard on the guys, and some guys didn't like it. Um, you talk about that intensity that he brings. First of all, was there any truth to any of that, at least from what you could feel from the locker room? Honestly, when all when all that stuff was you know being said, I, we most of us were just confused. Exactly, uh, we had no idea what what it's what, what they're talking about. You know, we're I was asking the some of the reporters like, what are y'all talking about? Like, where are y'all getting this from? And, Thank you. And no one had an answer. Um, but you know, it is what it is. You know, you can, you can't control everything that's out there in the media. So I'm going to get to the second part. You know, the sources say the anonymous this, the things that RG three just hates. Um, obviously he didn't do very much research, uh, before asking that question and leading the witness, but I'll get to that here, um, in a moment. But I wanted to start with what Sam Howell said about Eric Bieniemy, uh, about him being a future head coach and how complimentary he was of him. And there are two things that I want to just quickly say about that. Number one is I believe he's being sincere. I know some people might say, well, what else is he going to say? He's, he's a smart enough kid. He knows what not to say. No, I think there's actually some sincerity uh, in that answer. Um, by all accounts, that has been a good working relationship. Uh, Sam, we know, has, we've been told, has all the in- intangibles, great work ethic, great in the locker room, great guy, you know, learner, the whole thing. Um, and the, the second part of that, uh, first part being, I think Sam's being sincere, is that, you know, Eric Bieniemy is going to be attached to the way people view him and Sam at the end of the year because he's going to get credit or blame for what people think of Sam at the end of the year. And right now, because I feel, and even after these last three games, and I have a sense that the majority of you feel the same way, that it's still been more encouraging than discouraging, much more intriguing as far as Sam Howell's concerned than, you know, non-intriguing. You know, despite some of the numbers, obviously not a high QBR number, not a high passer rating number, leads the league in sacks allowed, leads the league in interceptions, leads the league in... And, and batted balls, et cetera. Even with all of that, think about that. We've talked about this the last few weeks. Even with all of that, I think most of us would still say, yeah, but there's something there. There's been more good than all of that bad. Um, and Eric Bieniemy's primary job coming into this year, we talked about it all offseason, was to develop Sam Howell or to attempt to develop him and get the most out of him to see at the end of the year whether or not there was a quarterback there for the future. 
And, you know, it was also to develop uh, a better offense than they've had in recent years. Uh, The results say that it's essentially, you know, the same, a a little bit better. I think their best games offensively have looked better than the games they have played offensively in recent years. Um, But Eric Biennemi is going to be a big part of the Sam Howell conversation. Will it lead to a head coaching job for him? I have no idea. Probably not, would be my guess. You know, I don't know that in my mind that Eric Biennemi's proven himself to be, you know, a a lead offensive play caller and game planner, uh, you know, for an organization. Um, Although I like some of the changes he's made along the way, um, but there have been some of those head-scratching you know, days and watching this team offensively. But as it relates to Sam, if after 17 games we're still sit, we're still sitting here saying, you know, there's something there. <clears throat> you can build around him if, if you choose to go that way. Um, he is, you know, the numbers may not look great, but he did a good job and he grew and he developed. And people will look at Eric Bieniemy and say, Bieniemy gets – some credit for that. So does Sam. And I'm sure so does Tavita Pritchard, the quarterback's coach, and Ken Zampezi. But this has been Eric Bieniemy's show from the beginning. This has been his show from the beginning. And the two of them were going to be linked for this year from you know the, the start of the offseason. Um, but anyway, uh, the second part of that, I mean, come on, man. I mean, does – like – I, I conduct interviews a lot too, and sometimes I'm not, you know, up to speed, and I miss on something, and I ask a question that sounds pretty stupid too. Um, trust me, we all do it. Uh, but Robert pays attention to this team. He knows where the Eric Bieniemy relationship issues with players on this team. He knows where it started from. Didn't start from anonymous sources or sources say. It started when Ron Rivera told us it was happening in training camp. Ron Rivera, publicly, players are coming to me expressing concern over Eric Bieniemy. Come on, man. You got to know that. Because you talked about it. Everybody was talking about it over the summer. I know we follow the day-to-day more closely than the national guys do, but Robert's a national guy, but he's also paying attention to this team and the Sam Howell situation and the Eric Bieniemy and Ron Rivera situation as well. Uh, he, I think he knew. Now, if he's talking specifically about the Kime Fowler story, which was, from my standpoint, much more of a story about Eric Bieniemy than it was about Jack Del Rio or Josh Harris or anybody else, you know, there were some anonymous things there. But the person that started all of the conversation about Eric Bieniemy, you know, I'm talking about once he got here because there was a lot of this stuff that was out there from him in Kansas City, was Ron Rivera publicly. It was right there. There was no leak of the information. He wasn't trying to hide it, which was stupid, in my opinion, uh, for Ron Rivera to say what he said uh, back in August. But, you know, and then Sam's going to go along as he's led into this because he's already speaking super highly and, and super sincerely, in my opinion, about Eric Bieniemy. And so, you know, it was it was the classic, you know, using... Uh, information that just is not true and or is at least excluding a big part 
of the information to kind of lead the witness. Um, but you know, whatever. Uh, so one other quick soundbite from yesterday that I wanted to play. This one from Eric Bieniemy. Um, Eric, in his Thursday coordinator press conference, was asked about something specific as a coach that he has tried new this year. I want you to listen to his answer. It's some of those things I love to keep to myself, and like I said, just taking input. Sometimes Coach Eric Bieniemy can be very hard-headed and stubborn. All right, so that's one thing. Another thing is just making sure as a staff collectively that we're doing an overall job of over-communicating with one another. And then now, you know, once you do that, that eliminates a lot of things. And then maximizing the talent that we have, okay? Sometimes you got to simplify. Sometimes less is more, okay? So those are some of the things that I've learned. Those are some of the things that are helping me uh, uh, to continue to grow. But when it's all said and done with, that's my responsibility and my job. So um, I'm excited about where I am. Not excited about what we've done, but I'm excited about today, and I'm excited about the things that we can continue to grow moving forward. So this year has been such a difficult year for everybody out there. And, you know, the other years have been pretty difficult, too. Um, This one more difficult. Uh, You know, no chancer of a season in terms of competing for anything. But I kind of feel like, you know, the voices of Ron and Jack and the people that we've gotten to know over the last couple of years, it's it's gotten, you know, old at times, and that the new voices, the new people, Eric Bieniemy in particular, also Sam Howell, really, for the most part, have been more interesting to kind of pay attention to. Now, Eric talks in the third person. He's cliche-ridden. He certainly doesn't give you anything. He's smart enough in these press conferences to never give you anything that would be, you know, sort of negative headline-worthy. He's much smarter in handling that than his head coach. But um, I think during the course of the year, like, you know, week to week, you know, it's kind of been different week to week. But what you've wanted to see with the on-field production is some level of growth in the offense, some level as we started to see that some of what they were doing wasn't working, some level of adjustment to that. And I think we've seen some of that. I think after the Buffalo game, there's no doubt that they went to some quick game more. And then when they got away from it in that giant game in that first half that they lost in the Meadowlands, they came back you know, for three straight games with a lot more uh, of an offense that I think suited the quarterback, suited the offensive line. Um, and I thought, you know, and said so during the time, I thought there was a lot of growth. But, you know, it's the other stuff that really, other than Ron telling us over the summer that there was some tension, um, you know, just to kind of understand, I think this is a guy that's old school. This is a guy that's tough. This is a guy that, you know, I, I think perhaps his issue has been. He, uh, you know, it's his way or the highway, uh, inflexibility, etc. And I thought the answer when he says about things that he's tried new this year, um, he says some of those things I'd like to keep to myself, but he said, uh, taking input, sometimes Coach Eric Bieniemy can be very hard-headed and stubborn. So that's one thing. And then he talked about communication, collective communication versus, you know, sometimes communication with old school people is one way. Um, it's not, it's not a group effort. Um, and then, 
you know, when he said sometimes less is more, you know, sometimes you've got to simplify, you know, maybe it was too complex. Maybe they were trying things that just, it was going to be too difficult for a young quarterback and a first time offense for everybody out there. But, you know, I, I don't know if this, if this is a comment that expresses some level of self-awareness or some level of I've, recognize some of my flaws and I'm working on them or not. I just thought the answer was interesting because there was the admission I can be hard-headed and stubborn, which he's kind of admitted in the past. All right, uh, Rams on Sunday. First of all, I know I said this about the Cowboy game on Thanksgiving. Uh, I think they've got a chance to keep this game close The Rams are coming off an incredibly um, gut-wrenching, draining game in the rain in Baltimore, 37-31 in overtime. They've been playing very well. Um, They could be looking past Washington. I know that doesn't happen a lot in the NFL, Um, but they have a huge game, a wild-card potential game against the Saints the following week. They finish with the Niners. It may be a game they have to win. Uh, It may be a game the Niners don't have to win, but I bet it's probably going to be a game they both have to win. Um, And Washington's coming off the bye week. By the way, I had Jordan Rodrigue, who covers the Rams for the Athletics. She did a great podcast called The Play Callers that had Sean McVay and Matt LaFleur and Mike McDaniel and um, and Kyle Shanahan uh, a part of it. It was great. Uh, you can find that anywhere you find podcasts, including where you find this one. It's called The Play Callers. But anyway, she told me, and I didn't know this, that the Rams this year are like 0-5 against teams coming off a bye. Um and Washington's coming off this late season bye. And I don't know, there's something about the Rivera thing, and I'm probably, the, the ship has probably sailed on this, you know, because they all know that the fate is they're going to be fired when this season ends, and maybe they're not going to give up, maybe they're not going to give a, a big fight or, you know, win a game that you don't think they should win. And I know most of you don't want them to win this game anyway. That's beside the point I want to talk about this game because they're not thinking that way. I I think you're going to get a fight Sunday. And I think the Rams not, you know, having a good record against teams off of buys this year, the Rams off of that gut-wrenching loss in Baltimore last week, the Rams have given up some points and yards for sure against teams at times this year. Um I think offensively they got a chance. Like I think this will look more like the Dallas game in the first half than the Miami game in the first half because both of those games were different. Um, and so I give Washington a chance. Now specifically, the, the so Matt uh, Stafford just for the first time in his career, believe it or not, had three straight games of three or more touchdowns. Pretty interesting that Matt Stafford looked like shot with the with the elbow injury, um, and at times even this year when he was hurt. But here are the Rams, you know, uh, here they are fighting for playoff positioning. And by the way, if they get in with all of their experience, they're not going to be an easy out. Um, but as lethal as they can be through the air and as bad as Washington's coverage is, Washington's the DVOA last-ranked defensive team, last-ranked pass defense team, the key to stopping the Rams or the key to competing with the Rams on Sunday is to stop the run. 
It's a Sean McVay team. They want to run the football. And Kyron Williams is having one hell of a year. Now, he has missed four games. He's missed four of their 13 games. Even with the four games that he's missed, he's seventh in rushing yards. He's second in rushing yards per game behind Christian McCaffrey. He's second in yards per carry at five yards per carry behind Christian McCaffrey. This starts with stopping the run Sunday. If they're going to compete in this game, if they get Kyron Williams going and then play action off of that with Cup and Puka Nakua and you know the, the weapons they have, long day, another long day defensively. It still might be a long day defensively, but to make it not as long as 45 points long, they've got to stop the run. That's first and foremost. Secondly, you know, once you stop the run, you've got to put some pressure on Matt Stafford. Washington, since those trades, they don't generate any pressure unless it's playing DeVito in his first start. Um, I don't see that part of it. I still see them giving up, you know, chunk plays and explosive plays. But if they can stop the run, they got a better chance of perhaps getting after Stafford. But you've got to pressure Stafford. Stafford will make during a course of a game some throws that aren't, you know, uh, aren't suggested. He made a throw at the end of the Baltimore game as they were in field goal range to tie the game. He threw a ball into the end zone for, I think it was Denard Robinson. Should have been picked. It was a terrible throw. But on the same drive, he made like two or three great throws. But Stafford, under pressure, will put it up for grabs. But you've got to generate pressure. And Washington hasn't really done that, you know, especially since the trading of Sweat uh, and Young, um, as Sweat has really played well in Chicago. So stop the run, get some pressure on Stafford. I don't feel great about that part of it, the getting pressure on Stafford. And then offensively, you got to do a, uh, what you did against the Cowboys in the first half. You've got to control the football. You've got to have, you know, six or seven plays before you punt. Your offense needs to be your best defense down the stretch if you're going to be a competitive team because the defense just isn't good. Brian Robinson Jr., by the way, is out. So we're going to see a lot of Chris Rodriguez, I think, along with Antonio Gibson on Sunday. I'm actually excited about that. I know they love uh, Rodriguez. I've liked what I've seen as well. But, you know, that Dallas game came out. They came out and they were more balanced. You know, Brian Robinson Jr. had some runs to start off drives. And even the first few drives of that game that didn't end in points, they were six, eight play drives with clock, you know, eaten up. And then they had that long drive for the field goal where, um, you know, Robinson uh, uh, had a, a big, big run for like 15, 16 yards on that drive. Um, and then they had that, you know, extraordinary drive at the end of the first half um, where they ran Gibson, they ran Robinson. And I don't expect them to all of a sudden become a run first team or a balanced team. I'm just telling you against the Rams and it's not easy to run against Aaron Donald and company for sure. Um, but you've got to be a threat to run the football. Um, and I'd love to see what Sam looks like as a play-action quarterback more often than not. I actually think that that kind of offense would suit him well. Um, but Washington's got to convert on third down. You know, They've got to stay on the field. They've got to uh, be balanced to be able to do that. I really believe that. And um, 
The Rams have have played well defensively at times, especially against teams like Washington. Like if you go back to you know just a couple of games ago, they played uh, the Packers. You know the Packers not super explosive offensively, but with a young quarterback and a couple of backs, you know uh, offensively, and and the Packers did a really good job running the football with Aaron Jones, and Love was efficient, and you know they got got the ball out quickly, and they converted on third down. They were like 50% on third down, which gave them like an 11-minute time of possession advantage game. Like if you go back to the Green Bay win over the Rams, that's kind of what has to happen. Um, Now, to be fair, they won that game in part because Matt Stafford wasn't playing in the game, nor was Kyron Williams. But I'm just talking about the way Green Bay, the job they did against the Rams defense. Um it needs to look, I think, more balanced to have a chance. Obviously, you have to account for Aaron Donald um, for sure. Uh, I like this game to be a competitive game. All right, I'm sure I'm out there by myself. I've got the Rams winning 27 to 22, so Washington gets the cover. Yes, they're going to be in the smell test at the end of the show. Uh, I, maybe it's a backdoor cover. Maybe it's like 27 to 16. They score late. They go for two to try to make, make it 27, 24. They don't get it. They'd go for the onside kick. They don't get that. And they lose 27, 22 would not surprise me if Washington is right there at halftime. You know, like I would, I would consider Washington plus three and a half on the first half line. I think the Rams, you know, coming off that, you know, uh, game last week and Washington having the rest, I don't know. I, I could be completely nuts. The last time we saw them, they were horrendous. They weren't ready to play. They embarrassed themselves against the Dolphins. That was a different matchup, though, for Washington. Um, Rams certainly have two great receivers in Cup and Nakua, and they've got a really good back, and they've got a good quarterback, and they obviously have a great offensive mind um, and minds uh, on that sideline. Um, I think the key is, you know, keeping the ball offensively like they did in the first half against the Cowboys, like they did really into the third quarter against the Cowboys, and then, you know, converting on fourth down and not turning the ball over and playing a clean game and having a chance. So, you know, 27-22 competitive game, Sam playing a good game. I think that's what everybody wants anyway. All right, uh, before we get to Jay Gruden, let me just ask that if you haven't rated or reviewed the podcast and you can do that for us, that would be so helpful. You could pause it right now on Apple, follow us, subscribe to the podcast, and then give us five stars if you see fit with a quick one-sentence review. How about this one from JJ Plus? It's the best podcast anywhere for a sports fan. Uh, They're bringing it real, blunt, truth. Thank you, JJ+. Plus. Um, original CP3 wants Jay Gruden back as at least an offensive coordinator. He'd be great. Uh, a lot of you like uh, the Jay Gruden weekly uh, hit coming up here in the next segment. But uh, subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Apple and Spotify. And if you can rate and review the podcast, that would be awesome as well. Uh, I do want to tell you real quickly about Surfside's Fajita Boxes. All right, this is something that we've actually gotten at home a few times, especially on weekends when you're sitting around watching football and you're trying to figure out what are we going to eat for dinner or what are we going to eat for, you know, during the day, and especially at holiday time, Surfside's fajita boxes 
will make life easy for you this time of year. Uh, On the go or on your way home, they're the best way to feed your crew with a meal everyone will love. Their fajita chicken's phenomenal. The steak is so flavorful. Veggies, all the fixings in a convenient grab-and-go box. Thinking ahead, hop online to order a fajita box in advance. And if you want it delivered, you just go to surfsidedc.com. I promise you, you will thank me. Um, If you're looking, if you're hanging around watching football all day, it's going to be raining on Sunday. Uh, You're going to be sitting around watching football during the holidays. I know there's a lot of food in the house, but if you've got people coming over and you don't have something fresh and ready to go, fajita boxes from Surfside DC. Go to SurfsideDC.com to learn more. All right, Jay Gruden next, right after a few words from a few more of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Jay Gruden jumping on with us as he does every Friday. We have a Washington game to preview and to pick. Uh, That's coming up. They play the Rams. They play Sean McVay's team. Brandon Staley's old team uh, when he was the defensive coordinator for the Super Bowl champion Rams. Jay's with us every Friday. And this segment is presented by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Mention my name. You'll get a free estimate. Uh, buy two, get two free right now with 0% interest for five years. Window Nation will take really good care of you. You'll lower your energy costs, and you'll make your home look better. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. What was that last night? Did you watch that? 
I did watch that. That was uh, that was insane. I've never seen a game like that. You know, sometimes when it rains, it pours, and it was it was a monsoon for the four Chargers. I mean, they they couldn't hold on to the ball. They couldn't make a tackle. They couldn't cover anybody. I mean, the Raiders just got shut out like four days ago by Minnesota. You know, they got shut out. I mean, what does that say about right? Brian Flores and the job he's done? Because that defense last year in Minnesota was horrific. Brian Flores has, has done an amazing job of that defense, and he's he's a good coach. We all know that, but still, you don't go from zero to sixty uh, unless you're a very souped up car. I just I don't understand it. But that was that was uh, that was a tough day for the Chargers, and you know I've had a game like that or two myself, and it's not fun. It's just sometimes you can't get out of your own way, and it's hard to you know get the guys right. It's just it's just one of those games. What's the worst beating you've ever taken as a coach? Probably, probably the Patriots. My last game. That was, you know, we scored first, and I think they went on to score forty straight. Um, that was pretty bad. I think Drew Brees is uh, when he broke the record. He broke it in the first quarter. <laughs> they beat us pretty good. Huh? <laughs> yeah. He needed two. He needed two hundred twenty yards or something like that. I said he's not going to get it on our watch. And he got it in the first quarter. Um, I had a couple. There was a couple. Yeah, that the the New Orleans game. That was – see, for me, that season's an interesting season because, look, Alex Smith did a really nice job, and I know how much you loved having Alex Smith there that year. But it seemed to me and a lot of fans, I think, offensively that it was a bit of a house of cards, that, you know, y- you had done well against teams – that were just okay. I mean, you beat Green Bay that year, but if you recall, Aaron Rodgers was banged up in that game. That may have been the game before the Saints Monday night game, um, or two games before. But it just seemed like, offensively, you weren't as dynamic as you had been previously in, in, in the ability to really push the ball down the field offensively. Yeah, that's not really Alex's style. He's not a big pusher. I mean, he could do it, but he's more of a... You know, get the ball to the guys in space and let them do the work for him. Um, he would throw it down the field if it was there. Well, I mean, it had to be really, really, really there. He was not a big, I'm going to throw a 50-50 ball or any of that stuff. He's going to take the right throw and, and move the chains. Nothing wrong with that. And, you know, we played good field position and it did some good things. Uh, 43-19 to 19 was that the, the night that Drew Brees broke the record. Um, on Monday Night Football, and you were down as much. I mean, nothing resembles what happened last night. You were down at one point, forty to thirteen, uh, late in the third quarter. You know, the other game in my first year, we got shut out by the Bucks. That's when you just feel like you can't get a yard. It's like the little Giants. Hey, we got a yard. It's second and nine. Everybody celebrates. It's just, it's just, it's just God. Well, Some G- of those games. Wow. Well, Jay, that was. You know, I know I've talked to you about this before. But that was right before you went on the record and really crushed Robert Griffin III in a story written by Albert Breer on NFL.com. And I don't have – I God, I had that story uh, accessible to me for I didn't several, crush him. You did crush him. You, I did not. I was just trying to get some accountability on our team instead of him. Was, yeah, I already apologized for that. You, you I don't did. want to bring that stuff up again. <laughs> Sorry, Robert. Man, that's my bad. Um, but but that game was that the last one that RG three started, or was that the? Um, I think that was the one that you said enough is enough. Maybe. Probably yes. 
When, yeah. you get, when you get shut out, it's probably time to make a change. What about the flip side? What's the worst beating you've ever put on a team as a head coach? Ooh. Um, well, I think we beat the Saints pretty good one year. They fired Rob Ryan after that game. You right. Remember that? Yes, I do. At home? Yeah. Yeah, that was a pretty good one. 40, probably that 40, one. 47 to 10, I think, was the score. Seriously, I think that's what the score is. I'm going to look it up right now. Um yeah, I mean, destroyed them. That's where you really had it going offensively at the end of the year. Was that the worst, or were there others that you remember? Forty-seven, fourteen, um, Jay. Just the Raiders. Up. The Raiders wasn't a bad score, but we beat the crap out of them. We had like five hundred yards of offense. I think four hundred against uh, Del Rio, and he was the head coach. That was a pretty good game, and we never were really in doubt of winning that game. You know those games where you just never fear that they're going to come back and get you, like the Saints, like the Raiders. There was a couple games like that. Yeah. That Raiders game was a Sunday night game, 2017, and 27 to 10, just pulled it up, final score. And yeah, I mean, just destroyed them. By the way, you the, the, the total yardage, 472 to 128. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so the score didn't really, the story didn't really, the score didn't really tell the story. That game was, that was a whooping. Yeah. Um, you know, back to back to that 2018 season with Alex Smith. I've told you this before, but I really think you did some of the best coaching of your career with Josh Johnson at the end of that season. Uh, beating Jacksonville and then having Tennessee on the ropes in a game that would have kept you alive for the playoffs. <clears throat> I with what you guys had, all the injuries. You had, I mean, you were on whatever quarterback number that was because Alex broke his leg, Colt broke his leg, et cetera. Do you ever, you know, I've talked to Gary Williams um, many times about this, you know, the Hall of Fame college basketball coach from Maryland. And he used to always say, sometimes the best coaching job that I ever did were teams that weren't that great, but people in my business, my peers knew what kind of job I did. Do you feel the, the same way about like the end of that season in particular or games, or maybe there's another season you can think of? Yeah, no, for sure. That, when you had hit adversity like that and you have to really grind and, and really focus on all the details because you know, you don't have any room for error because you're not really that good. You got to really be on point as far as your game plan and, and what you're doing with the players that you have. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, similar things for um, the Cincinnati Bengals right now with the backup quarterback and what Kevin O'Connell did with Josh Dobbs for a few games until you know, you know, they have to play a lot of games and then you know the issues come out in full force. But you know, to coach these guys up when you're really short stacked personnel wise, it's, it's very difficult. It can be done, but it's not going to be done for a length of time. But you can get it done for three or four weeks, and that's what we try to do there to try to sneak into playoffs. And we almost did. Damn it. He almost did. What what was it about Josh Johnson where lots of really good coaches, offensive coaches in particular, always wanted him around? He's smart and he can run. And and uh, you know he's not the most accurate guy. We all know that. But if you're going to err on the side of a backup quarterback, you better get an athlete, somebody that can make some plays with their legs, because you can't just expect them to drop back and throw it without the reps, without the time and OTAs and time with your players. And, uh, the protection schemes and all that stuff. You got to be able to run. You have to be able to do some RPOs, some zone reads. Uh, he's got to scramble um, on third and five to get first downs, and that's what he could do. And that's why we wanted him so bad. And that's why I think Minnesota went to Josh Dobbs early, and, and these guys that are athletic 
um, they make a big difference because they can run. Uh, the Raiders' backup quarterback this year, the rookie, the rookie from Purdue, Aiden O'Connell, is not super athletic. Yeah, no. and, I, and I'm wondering, yeah. like, it, with all of the backup quarterbacks, all of the young quarterbacks, backup quarterbacks that have been forced to play this year because of the, you know, inordinate number of, of quarterback injuries, um, when you watch last night and you're watching an Aiden O'Connell as an example, what are you thinking watching him? Are you looking for a guy that, that – can either do it or not do it, or are you just watching the game? I'm, I'm curious as to what you, what, how you view a guy like that when you're watching him for the first time. I always watch the position. You see these young guys come in and play, and some of them struggle. Some of them, uh, you just like to see their progress from week to week. You know, you see a guy that gets shut out by Minnesota, has a terrible game, and then come back, and his resilience and his mental toughness shines through. And that, that's a great trait to have because it's not always going to go well for you in a season, you're going to have your tough games, and how you bounce back is critical. And that is a key moment and a key game for him moving forward with his confidence. So in the last three games will be key for him for the Raider organization evaluating him moving forward. And the same thing goes for all these young quarterbacks. Sam Howell, these last four games, how he's going to react. Jake Browning, how he's going to react. they got Joe Burrow coming back. But, you know, I'm talking about the moving forward with your franchise. Are you going to go out and get another quarterback or – can you draft players around him because you feel like you have a quarterback in the building? It's hard to tell with these young guys. Uh, what did you see uh, or have seen in Aiden O'Connell? I see, I see a lot of pros, but I, you know, the lack of mobility is, is, is going to hurt him a little bit. But I mean, he seems like he's got a good grasp of the offense despite having a new coordinator midseason. That's difficult. Um, he's a guy that's going to have to go through the offseason with a new coach, probably a new coordinator, and. Um, I'm sure they're going to have to do their evaluation, and they're probably going to try to get a guy to come in and compete with them in a the draft. I don't know what pick they're going to have or who they could get. I don't know what they're going to do with Jimmy G. I have no idea. So there's a lot of question marks in the Raiders despite a, a great win. They feel great right now. They feel exact opposite how they felt last week, getting shut out 3 nothing. So I don't know. It's just uh it's just something they have to do within within the building and figure it out. One more on last night. Brandon Staley was Sean's defensive coordinator the year they won the Super Bowl. He's had horrendous defenses in L.A. Is he a good defensive coach, or did he just have Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and everybody else that they had the year they won the Super Bowl? Well, the weird thing, he came from a small school, and he was a linebacker coach for a year, and then they promoted him to defensive coordinator for one year, and they won the Super Bowl. They had Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey. They had like pretty good players on that defense. And then he got a head coaching job after one year of success, which is kind of odd. Usually, I don't know, you take a veteran-type guy who's been there and done that for multiple years and shown that they can do it. That was a unique hire, in my opinion. Not that he's a bad guy or a bad coach, but you know, just to do it for one year with the personnel that they had, I mean, that's, that's, that's tough. And it's, I don't know what to say. I just know that the Chargers are the most underachieving team I've ever seen in football with the quarterback that they have. I know Keenan Allen didn't play. I know Herbert didn't play last night, and they got some injuries and things of that nature. But even when they were healthy, they were underachieving uh, since his, since he began. Yeah, um, I totally agree with that. All right, uh, let's go to Sam Howell because you, you mentioned him, and um, I actually wanted to ask you about these final four games, and, and not just the final four games, but what you – and coaches are looking for 
from a young quarterback that that we're not looking for. We we see the results, we see the result of the play, we see the end results of of the game. Um, you know, there are things that the normal fan understands. Oh, the guy's really good at you know ducking pressure or extending or creating. You know, off schedule, etc. But what are the things that you know Eric Bieniemy's be, been looking for, and a new GM and or coach are going to look at with Sam that tells them. Yeah, it's more than just what, you know, we see. This is this is, you know, footwork, process, whatever it is. What are those things? Yeah. All that. I think there's two great examples of two young quarterbacks that already played this week. Tennessee and the Giants. That's what you're looking for. Um, guys to rally your team back, guys to make your team around you better, bring excitement to the building. Uh, the way the Giants and the Titans played the other night is exactly the way you want Washington to finish the season. Lots of energy, lots of passion, guys making plays, flying around, having high fives, having a good time, and playing their asses off. And that's what I saw with those two teams. Who would have thought Tennessee could beat Miami, right? Who would have thought the Giants could win that game uh, the way they won it? So that's what you're looking for, Sam, the competitive spirit. Move the chains with your legs. Make the right decisions. Get everybody involved and have some damn fun playing and, and show some passion which he will do. That's what Sam is really good at. He plays his ass off. What, though, specifically are they looking for? Like, Biennemi and Ron Rivera, even this week, have sort of implied, you know, decision-making is still something they need to see him improve upon, processing, things like that. Well, they're all of the above, really. I mean, you have to, every play, you make a decision, whether it's a run game, making the right check, getting in the right play, um, pass protection, reading the concepts out whether it's pure progression or single high two high read working the side of the field getting the ball to the right people throwing the ball accurately avoiding pressure protecting the damn ball all that stuff is critical for a quarterback moving forward you can't be good on one drive and then throw a pick right to double coverage on the next drive consistency matters uh, protection of the football matter uh, decision making matters accuracy matters all that matters so it's a it's a total Every play, every drive, every series is a uh, is a is an evaluation process for Sam, and, and you just want to see him get better, and make those good decisions, and right. avoid the bad ones. All right, they play the Rams Sunday. You want to see a lot of excitement, a lot of energy, like Monday night where Tennessee was down fourteen and amazingly came back and won that game. The Giants won uh, against a, a Green Bay team that needed it badly. How how do you deal with you know at this point? Fans understand that this coaching regime's gone um, in three weeks, basically. And they want a top three, top four pick. Um, I'm assuming that from a coaching standpoint, that never enters your mind, especially if it's your final year, which you didn't get to finish your final year here. Um, But do you guys hear that talk, you know, about draft position and and, and being competitive but not winning games that, that hurt your draft position? No, as a competitor, as a coach, as a player, um, you hope that you did your work and getting players in here that like to compete no matter the circumstance. And that's the whole thing that everybody brings up about the big C word, the culture word. That should never cross anybody's mind. Hey, we're going to not play our best ball because we want the fifth pick instead of the ninth pick. You guys are pros, and I know Jonathan and Duran and and those guys, they're going to play hard, I would expect and hopefully they make some plays early in the games to get them going. A lot of times when you're in this position and you're uh, out of the playoffs, if you have if you don't have any success early in the game, very similar to what the Chargers did last night, 
You can just see the heads drop, walking off the field, walking to the huddle, walking to the line of scrimmage. There's no energy, as opposed to the Giants who's playing their asses off. They're running to the ball. They're high-fiving Wendell Robinson, who never heard of that, over 100 yards of offense. You know, you just got to get people involved early, have some success early so the guys fly around and have some fun. Uh, you, you, Look, I, I totally agree with you, but you were really impressed with the Giants and Titans on Monday night, weren't you? hundred uh, percent. You know, both those teams had every reason to do what the Chargers did last night, and they didn't. And that's a credit to Dayball and, and Mike Grable and getting those guys ready. And then credit to those two quarterbacks. You know, those two quarterbacks really played hard. I mean, quarterback for the Titans, I mean, he's running people over. I mean, this guy's a tough son of a gun. Whether he's the answer moving forward, he sure gave them a flicker of hope, that's for sure. Will Levis, uh, Jay, is talking about. All right, how, do the, how, does, how does Washington beat the Rams? Uh, they don't. <laughs> I know, but let's just pretend that there's a chance that they that they can. What would they, they need to create some turnovers? They got to get after Stafford and get some turnovers. Whether they have to blitz them, they got to get after. They got to get Stafford on the ground. Now the Rams, everybody thinks of Stafford and Cup and Puka, but really they run the ball really well. Yeah. So they have to they have to make sure that they get Stafford in some passing situations and then get after him. That's what they got to do. So Williams is going to have a big day. Um, they're going to try to get Williams going early, and that'll open up things for Cup and, and Puka. But they have to stop the run early in the game, in my opinion, because I know Sean's going to try to run the ball down their throat early, and then he'll get Cooper and, and Puka going. He did that against Baltimore, had a lot of success uh, running the football early, and then got after him through the air with uh, Stafford, and Stafford was pretty clean the whole game. So you got to get Stafford on the ground, got to hit him hard and hit him off him, and that's easier said than done. What's the plan? You, you had to coach against it. What's the plan offensively against Aaron Donald? Well, you got to make sure – you know where he is. Your center's got to go that way. Now, Raheem Morris does a good job knowing that most teams are going to slide their center to Aaron Donald. No matter what the protection is, you're going to flip it to Aaron Donald's side if it's four-man rush. That's number one. And then you got to make sure you expect that Raheem's going to send the linebacker away from Aaron Donald and try to eat up your back. So occasionally you're going to be one-on-one, but you never, ever, ever want your left guard, Paul, one-on-one against Aaron Donald because that'll be a sack fumble every other time. So you got to make sure Aaron Donald's on the right side of the defense on our left guard. We got to make sure we get him help and help him a lot. Uh, final score prediction: Rams, Washington. Uh, Thirty-seven, ten. Oof! So not a giant Titan uh, effort um, on Sunday in no, LA. This is the type of game that if they get down early and they have to throw it, and Sam's going to really get hit a lot. Unfortunately, I feel it. All right, um, they got to somehow keep it close early and create some turnovers, and, and then they'll have a chance. But I just feel like right now the Rams have a lot to play for. They played great last week. They've really played good the last three or four weeks, if you look at them. And uh, Stafford's healthy and Cooper's healthy, and, and this is a team that I think is going to make the playoffs and, and maybe do some damage, actually. All right, uh, we'll get to your lock of the week here in a moment to finish up, but a, a couple of things about the games this weekend. First of all, how concerned should Eagles fans be about their prospects when they get to the postseason? I think pretty concerned. I think the secondary is really hurting, and, and they lost their nickel early in the season. Um, they, they struggle other than Darius Slay. The other side is just getting beat up, and the nickels are getting beat up in the passing game. So they either got to play more zone to help out these nickels and Bradbury on the other side. They're trying the other corner, number 22, Riggs, I think is his name. And he's getting torched. So, yeah, they got problems in the secondary. They're not getting enough pressure. You know, you think Fletcher's getting some pressure on the inside. Jalen Carter's not doing much. And obviously, Son Reddick's doing some good things. But defensively is where 
I have my biggest concern. And then offensively, I think the key is to get Jalen Hurts back to healthy because he's not playing like Jalen Hurts with the physical running style that he has, the ability to move chains and use his legs. I think it's very minimal right now. If he can get healthy and go back to some of the quarterback design runs where they eat up the clock and maintain possession of the football, keep their defense fresh, they'll be fine. But right now they're not doing that, and I think Seattle's going to give them a lot of problems because Seattle's got a very explosive offense and a lot of different weapons to throw to. And if Geno plays, I think it's going to be a track meet in that game. Uh, Kadarius Tony offsides. What was your reaction to that play in the Kansas City Buffalo game? I'm not a fan of it. I just, I just, I, I made a point the other day that uh, if that wasn't called, it would not. It would have been a non-issue. Nobody would even know that he was offsides. And I, just, I just, you know, I know he was offsides by a little bit, but I just don't think you make that call. I think you tell him to back up. I saw a ref made that call last night in the game just to try to, hey, if you get a chance, make sure you call a guy offsides. <laughs> I did see that. Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 Well, they have increased. I, I just, the I, increase has been there during the course of the year in calling offensive well, like offsides. Ten of them were on push pushes. You, true. Yeah, ten of them were on push. No, that's a hundred percent. Yeah, so that, yeah. That, that doesn't count. Yeah. So I just, I, I don't know. I just don't know how you make that call. And a lot of times, the guys get lined up um, before the center gets there. Then the center gets there, he puts the ball down, he kind of tilts the ball back a little bit. So it looks like he's offsides by it. You know, he's leaning. His head was behind the ball, but his foot was on the line. I don't know. I just, I just don't know how you make that call. By the way, you just said ten out of the twelve. I, I thought it was half of the uh, offensive no. offsides were were tush push plays. I sometimes exaggerate. Okay. Well, I, I, I I'm mean, curious. It's the same thing. Remember last year? Remember last year? Terry McLaurin against the Giants. Yes. They ran inside zone and scored a touchdown. Yes. And they called Terry for of course covering up the tight end. Or I mean, it's, do you make that call really? If you're the referee, do you make that call? Well, I mean, you guys know this more than we do. We watch the games and we see wide receivers line up and we see them check with the, you know an official, and a lot of times the official's not yeah. even in the screen. So the Terry thing, you know, to me it was always debatable as to whether or not he actually got the thumbs up that he said. I, I still haven't seen the actual thumb up, but it looked like the ref kind of acknowledged it. And there is some video that shows that, that Tony perhaps had – um, you know, some some direction, or at least Tony looked to the referee. Whether or not he got something back or not, who knows? Um, yeah, I to me, I, to me, the, the the most interesting thing about that play is the thing that very few people talked about, and that was how stupid Kelsey was to take that risk. I mean, it's a phenomenal right. play, but you've got a minute to go down three, and you put the ball at risk. Uh, which you know put the game at risk on on that play. I thought that that was insane that he did that. Insane, insane. That's one of those things where you're like, "Good job, Travis," but don't ever do it again. <laughs> don't uh, do it I mean, again. That's crazy. But yeah, I just, I just in that moment of the game, a minute to go in the game, I just don't know how you make it. It's like calling uh, for LeBron James at the top of the key with 20 seconds to go, and they're down by one, and they call carry. You know, you're not going to call it. Yeah. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess what what I would say is they they clearly and the tush push is a big part of it, but the the number of times they've called it, it's been an emphasis. Um, and Fine, call it in the first quarter. Call it fair enough. Quarter. Fair, call it a minute to go in the game. Fair enough, but it, maybe this was more egregious in terms of how far off sides he was. At least that's what they said. Um, yeah. Maybe. All right. Uh, like the games. By the way, how concerned are you? Are you about the Chiefs? Do do they have a run in them in the AFC when they get there or not? Well, we know how good their quarterback and tight end are, but they don't have any help other than that. They got to get uh, Pacheco back, and they got to get McKinnon going yeah. out of the backfield. They got to get another weapon other than the receivers. The receivers clearly 
are struggling. Um, so yeah, I, I have a concern moving forward because if you can cover whiteouts, I mean, you can do a lot of things blitz wise and all that stuff and really make it tough for an offense. And right now the whiteouts aren't getting any separation. So yes, it's a concern. All right. Couple of games real quickly. And then your lock of the week. Um, on Saturday, the Steelers play Indianapolis. The Steelers are 7-6. and six. They lost to two 2-10 two teams. There's a lot of discussion that this might be it for Tomlin um, if, you know, if they don't get in and make a run. He's playing Trubisky right now. First of all, A, what do you think of Tomlin? And then B, do you think that they're done and that they're, they're going out for the first time you know, banged up and, and battered and no playoffs and maybe not even you know, a winning season for the first time in Tomlin's career? Yeah, it's tough when you can't get yards. Uh, you know, your defense has to be damn near perfect, and they still have a chance because they do have a good defense. I don't know if TJ's playing or not, but defensively they can still make it hard on the opposing offenses. They can play the field position battle. They can punt. They can try to win games 10-7, to 7, which is possible to get in there, and they can do that against Indianapolis. But um, with an offense that poor, it's going to be hard uh, for them moving forward. And I don't know if Tomlin makes it or not, but he's a good football coach. I was with him at Tampa. He's a DB coach for my brother. and spent a lot of time with him and he's a great guy good motivator you know and, and as long as he has a good coordinators and a good special teams guy he's, he's a good motivator and a great guy so I think he'll land somewhere even if he's out of Pittsburgh but I would be surprised if that happens I think they'll keep him for another year as long as he changes the offensive staff big game in the one o'clock window between the Bears and the Browns the Bears are red hot Flacco came in last week beat Jacksonville the Browns, you know, have been banged up all year. How do you see that game, and what's your thought of the Browns moving forward with Flacco? Browns have been impressive, and I really think the Bears are, like, one of the most overachieving teams right now. I think Matt Eberflus is getting a lot of heat, but he's done a great job of that defense. I'm telling you, they're, like, top two or three against the run. They play hard. They're sound. They have good blitz package. Uh, they have a really good corner, um, and they're creating turnovers. So I really like what he's done on defense. If he were to get let go, he'd be the top defensive coordinator on my list if I ever got a job, I tell you that. He's a really good football coach, and, and Justin Fields is starting to play a little bit better. But I think the Bears right now, they're playing with some confidence, and I think they'll, I think that'll be a really, really good game because uh, they can get pressure on Flacco. And the one thing about Flacco, obviously, he can't move very well. but uh, And they have good enough corners to stop Amari. So, and they won't blow coverages like last week uh, Jacksonville did. That that won't happen. So I think it'll be a better game than people think, and I think the Bears have a chance to win it. Uh, the game of the weekend, Cowboys-Bills late Sunday afternoon. Cowboys just destroyed Philly. The Bills got that win on the controversial call. Uh, by the way, they, they, they still would have had the ball back with three timeouts left in a minute 15. But um, how do you size that one up? Yeah, I picked the Bills early in the week, but I think I'm switching over to the Cowboys right now. I think the Cowboys' offensive line is playing at a high level, and the Bills have just too many injuries to keep people on defense. And I don't know how they're going to stop Dallas the way they're playing. There's just too many with Cooks emerging as a pretty good player, obviously, and, and Gallup made a play last week, and Pollard, and obviously C.D. Lamb, and Dak is playing at an awesome level. They can't get a lot of pressure on Dak. It's going to be a long day for Buffalo. So I, and I think Dallas really has proven to me that they can actually play the run pretty good. I thought they were light in the box. I thought people could run the ball on them, and that's not really Buffalo's forte. They're going to try to throw the ball a lot, and that's going to open up the rush lanes for Demarcus Lawrence and obviously Micah Parsons. And I think Dallas will get a ton now. Um, and then Sunday night, big one: Baltimore and Jacksonville. Yeah, that's a big one. You know, it's back-to-back primetime games for Jacksonville. They, they uh, crapped the bed last week, and I think. Uh, and they've been playing so poorly on defense is my big concern. And Lamar is playing a lot of confidence. So I think 
as much as I like to take Jacksonville at home because it's a big game for them, and I just think I have such concerns about their defense. They're playing really poorly, and I think Baltimore takes care of business. Your lock of the week hit last week, the Bucks plus the points at Atlanta. You got that late drive. Uh, I was on Tampa as well. Um, they got the win. What's your lock of the week? You're 8-4 and four on this show. I don't know what you are on all the different gambling shows you do. Um, but on this show, you are 8-4 and four against the spread this year. Uh, I don't know why we're at week 16 and you only have 12 picks, but I don't think we started it until week 3 or week 4. So who do you got this week? Yeah, I hate to say it, but it's it's the Rams. I already mentioned it. I just think at home, um, the way they're playing right now, what they're playing for, Sean will get them ready and have a really good game. And, and Stafford, Puka, Cooper, and, and Williams in the running game, going to be too much for Washington to, to maintain and try to keep pace with them. I think Washington will, or, uh, the Rams will score at least 30, 35 points. And I don't think the, the, the commanders can match it or come up with that. Minus six and a half. Uh, the Rams laying less than a touchdown. You got the Rams laying the points. Um, all right. Uh, oh, I, I asked you before we started to record, and I just want everybody to hear your answer, what you thought of the big you know, story in D.C. this week, um, which was Ted Leonsis uh, potentially moving the Wizards and Caps out of D.C. to Northern Virginia. Um, did you spend a lot of time talking about that on your various shows this week? I did not. I did not know that was happening until you told me that. So, <laughs> unfortunately, I think I always thought that was a good arena down there. It's a fun place to go. I went to a couple uh, Wizard games and had a good time. And obviously, the Caps. I went to a couple games, and it's a great environment, great arena. I thought. I don't know why they need another one, but that's unfortunate for DC. But maybe they can learn to play defense uh, if they move over <laughs> to a different place for the Wizards. <laughs> What are, yeah, I've never seen over-unders so high for a basketball game when the Wizards play. <laughs> I love that you know that the over-unders in an NBA regular season game <laughs> are really high. Yes, they've been insanely high. In fact, tonight I think it's like 260-something against Indiana. 260. Um, that was that's, the All-Star games were in the I know, I know. They're pl- well, Indiana is the highest-scoring team in the league. Th- these are the two teams that give up the most points, and Indiana is also the highest-scoring team. In the league, so the total, the the total that I saw early this morning was two six zero, which is insane. Indiana, Indiana has not seen a shot clock violation ever. They don't even look at the shot clock. They take one pass and shoot. It's crazy. Are the you a bas- that they are, play. are you a, are you a hoops fan? I love watching the NBA personally. Yeah, I, I do like it. What what was your what were your other sports that you were really good at? I know you're 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 a decent golfer, but I'm talking about Baseball. other team sports. Baseball. I was like I was like all city in uh, Tampa in baseball. Me and Tino Martinez and Gary Sheffield. No big deal. <laughs> that was that was. What, what were you a pitcher? No, I played outfield. I played outfield. Yeah, we were pretty good. It was uh, Tampa was was pretty very competitive. Yeah, I, I bet played it was. I played left field against Gary Sheffield one game. You'll like this. And there was no fence at Hillsboro High School, and I didn't ever know who this guy was. He's a junior at the time. And, He's wiggling his bat back there. I'm playing left field. He hit the ball so far over my head. I think he touched home plate by the time I got the ball. <laughs> uh, well, it was a harbinger of things to come. Uh, him as a baseball player and you as a football coach. Uh, all right, we are done. Appreciate this as always. I'll talk to you next week. All right, thanks, Kevin. Jay Gruden, everybody, with me every Friday during football season. Uh, the smell test is every Friday during football season, and that is next right after these words from a few of our sponsors. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Kevin looks where the John Q. Public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's It's time time for the the smell smell test. test. Smell test brought to you, as always, by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code, KevinDC, and you will qualify for a cash bonus on your original deposit. You've got to use my promo code, KevinDC. Uh, They have shared with me that people put in KevinS980 or Team980, KevinDC. It's KevinDC. That's the promo code for MyBookie at MyBookie.ag. We are into that time of year where it's just like football pretty much every day starting tomorrow right through January 2nd. Typically multiple games per day with all of the bowl games. Triple header tomorrow in the NFL. I've got two picks from Saturday's games coming up here in a moment. Uh, Six bowl games tomorrow as bowl season uh, begins. Uh, My bookie's the spot. I mean, everything they do is fair. You're not going to get overcharged on losses. You're going to get fair point spreads, fair money lines, fair totals. Every prop bet that you've been thinking about is available at my bookie, especially on all of these bowl games. Um, lots of prop bets as it relates to the rest of the NFL season. Uh, and as we talked about with Jay, you want to bet the Wizards uh, total tonight? Go to mybookie.com where right now uh, the Wizards Pacers total is at 258 and a half. So I saw 260 earlier. It's 258 and a half. Uh, right now, still um, unbelievable uh, total, right, uh, for an NBA game. Uh, MyBookie.ag, promo code Kevin DC. So a good week last week with the smell test. Six and two. Um, the two losses were Navy, and, man, they were right down there at the end. First and goal, had a, you know, down 17 to nine, had a chance to go in there and hopefully miss the two-point conversion and lose 17-15. to That would have been a winner. Uh, but uh, they got stopped. Uh, they were trying a, you know, trying a tush-push from basically the two-and-a-half-yard line. Seemed like a long shot. Uh, the other loss was the Panthers. Uh, I know I gave you out some bad teams last week, but most of them won. You know, Most of them came through 6-2 and two weekend uh, with 
a 77 73 and 5 now overall over, overall record. So four games above 500. We got a long way to go to get to that, you know, 52 and a half to 53% range where you end up winning um with that percentage when you factor in, you know, a normal vig like you get at my bookie, you know, a minus 110 on a loss. Um got to hit a lot of high, a lot higher percentage uh if you're going to be paying at some of these shops minus 130 on a loss. Don't do that, people. Um, Go to mybookie.ag and use them. All right. So real quickly on college bowl games here in the first weekend, I'm not giving any of them out. I might play a couple of games just for fun. Probably not though, because I'll be watching the NFL. I'll be out and about. I'm not going to sit there and watch football all day tomorrow anyway. But um, the, uh, the bowl games, especially these bowl games that are early on, even the ones that get later, but at least you have more information. The opt-outs, the transfer portal, you just these teams don't really reflect what they were in the regular season in a lot of these instances. There have been so many wild point spread moves. Give you a perfect example. In the first bowl game tomorrow, the Myrtle Beach Bowl between Georgia, Georgia Southern and Ohio. Um, clearly, uh, Ohio has a lot of opt-outs and transfer portal guys that aren't playing. They opened up as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. They're now a three-and-a-half-point underdog. Miami of Ohio plays App State in the Avocados from Mexico, Mexico Cure Bowl. Um, Miami App State opened up at minus three and a half. They're now minus six and a half. The total opened at 48 and a half. It's at 42. So there's just too much unknown about these games. You just don't know what the motivation is, period. And that's the biggest problem with these bowl games. When we get later into some of these games and we have a sense of what the teams are going to do and how they're going to approach these games and who are going to be available to play in these games, and certainly the two semifinal games in the championship game, I can tell you right now, I and I – I may be wrong because I was wrong with Oregon against Washington in the Pac-12 game uh, championship game, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to have Texas in the smell test and have them for the maximum allowed. Uh, they're laying four and a half against Washington. I love Texas right now and the way they played at the end of the year. Um, by the way, did you see that story about the Texas backup quarterback who is opting out because he's going to enter into uh, the portal um, and not play and not be with his team during their run. Malik Murphy played in multiple games when Quinn Ewers was out during the regular season. He was a big part of Texas, you know, going 12 and one, winning the Big 12 championship, playing in this semifinal game in the playoff as the three seed um, against Washington. And he's leaving. And I think that's terrible. I don't have a problem with the opt-outs and bowl games that are meaningless and protecting your your potential you know, earning uh, power um, because you're going to get drafted and you don't want to play in a meaningless bowl game and pot- potentially get injured. I- I've come to grips with that. I don't love that, but I've come to grips with understanding that. But you're on a semi- semifinal you know, team. You were a big part of it. You may be needed. These are your brother's. You're fighting for a championship for crying out loud, and you're leaving. And Steve Sarkeesian, the Texas coach, said, I want you to stay. I don't care that you're going into the portal. I want you to stay, and you can still go into the portal and do your thing. I, I didn't like that at all. Anyway, um, 
No bowl game picks, all right? Uh, Not yet, anyway. Nothing for this weekend. Let's get to the picks themselves. Um, I got five of them uh, this weekend. Three, uh, two of them tomorrow. All right. First of all, Cincinnati's a three-point favorite at home against Minnesota. They've scored 34 in back-to-back games with Jake Browning. Minnesota scored three last week. Now they are uh, benching Josh Dobbs. In fact, they've demoted him to third string, and they're going to start Nick Mullins. And their defense is awesome, but the public's really hammering Cincinnati minus the three at home. I'll take the Vikings plus the three. Uh, One of the most publicly bet teams this weekend will be the Indianapolis Colts tomorrow against the Steelers in the second game of the NFL triple header. They're giving two. It's one and a half in a lot of places, but I found some twos. I'm going to take the Steelers plus the two. There's some sharp money on Pittsburgh and just a shitload of public money on Indy. I don't know how they do it. They do it with defense, clearly. But I'll take the Steelers plus the two. Sunday, a team that I've liked here for a while now um, is playing a quarterback that I like a lot in Joe Flacco. But the Bears are the right side Sunday plus three at Cleveland. By the way, Sunday, just make sure you pay attention. There's going to be a lot of weather issues uh, in the Northeast and the Midwest. There's a huge Nor'easter, you know, games in Cleveland, games in Carolina, games in um, Buffalo all could be impacted by heavy rain and wind. Um, but I like the Bears. The public likes the Cleveland story right now. I think this is a tough matchup for Cleveland, actually. The Bears have been taking the ball away from people. Uh, I'll take the Bears plus the three. If they win that game outright, they've got a really good chance to make a run to the postseason. That would be an amazing turnaround. Um, sorry, but I'm giving out the Panthers once again. It worked two weeks ago. Uh, against Tampa, did not work last week against the Saints. They're getting three against the Falcons. How is that line only three? I mean, Carolina's looked pretty bad. Uh, Atlanta lost at the gun, essentially, to Tampa. They're in a big playoff race. Nobody's playing Tampa. Every bookmaker in America is going to need the Panthers on Sunday. So will I. And then I like Washington. I like Washington. Um, You heard my final score prediction. They're getting set, uh, six and a half. I'll buy the half point, get it to seven. That six and a half's been baiting, uh, you know, favorite betters and public betters into laying the points less than a touchdown to take the Rams. I'm four and one involving Washington games. The last one wasn't close, the Dallas game, but I will take Washington buying the half point at plus seven. So there it is. Vikings plus three, Steelers plus two tomorrow. Sunday, the Bears plus three. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.